This episode is brought to you by Tempus Fugitives. Now I'll tell you this, I have bought many a sword from many a swordsmith. And while a lot of them can make some fantastic swords, they do have a tendency of making shit websites. Now this isn't the case with Tempus Fugitives. If you want swords, if you want protective gear, if you want books, it is the number one place to go in Britain and possibly in Europe as well. I don't know. I don't live there. But I, I'd say it's a safe bet. Visit www.tempusswords.co.uk Oh, sorry about that. What's up everybody and welcome to this episode of Blades for Days where we're going to be talking about swords and sword fighting and breaking people's rib cages in judo and sports massage stuff. I'm your host Jordan and joining me today is Graham Bell, sports therapist and winner of many, many judo trophies and medals. Now this one's a bit of a strange one because Graham is a very busy man, and the only time he had available was while he was giving Melissa and I a massage. Not at the same time. Different times. Yeah, as usual, my shoulders are crunchy and tight as they usually get. Just both of them Yeah, you, you said that just as we started, but that's grand. I'll leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> um, how are you doing today, bud? Good thanks, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah Grand. I'm, you know, like I said, woke up late, so uh, um, I I hate the mornings. Uh, I've mentioned this on the podcast a bunch. Like I absolutely despise mornings. It takes me about I'd say about two hours to become functional. You know, actually, I've been on Monday and Tuesday. I managed to go to the gym before work, which is like the biggest achievement for me. You know. Um, I went to the gym and it was like 10 o'clock where like most people have already done like a lot of stuff. I'm like, I did it. I went to the gym. I did one thing. So yeah, yeah, um, um, I'm good. Uh, so um, I thought we could talk a little bit about judo because we've chatted about judo and um, and like how you got into it and yeah. why you were drawn to it and stuff like that. <sighs> Uh, to be fair, it was one of those things, like, I think I started when I was four, so I don't know how much say I actually had in starting it. Like, my brother started it, who was sort of six at the time, yeah. and it was like a, it was more like a fen- family-friendly club with, like, lots of juniors and everything, so sort of, like, we started then, and um, it was just one of those things, sort of, fun, active, and sort of parents sort of wanting children to sort of be able to defend themselves, sort of thing, if anything did happen. Um... And then sort of as sort of I progressed and sort of learned more that I actually had sort of quite a good level of skill. And so I think I had the benefit because I'm left-handed naturally. We were taught all the techniques right-handed, but I could then just do them both ways. Oh, right. So it was one of those ones that like I could then sort of just grip sort of the other way, sort of left-handed one, which sort of would be like the left hand on sort of the right lapel and then sort of the right hand on the left sleeve which sort of really throws a lot of people because, like, again, it's a case that when you, definitely at the junior level, once you are play, like fighting against people, it is a case that they are all right-handed. So sort of it's very much sort of unique. So it was a case that with that, I sort of got, then went to a better club, sort of probably age nine, ten-ish, I think. Um, where I went to the Nationals sort of for the first time when I was in year seven, so like probably year, like, 12. Um, wasn't the best when I had flu the week before and it was held in an ice ring. <laughs> so, um, yeah, because obviously that's the ideal place to hold the judo national champions for judo is on ice Sheffield. Brilliant. So, um, yeah, on top of an ice ring when you have a cold wasn't the most indicative for good performance. But yeah. So, uh, how, how did that work? So, they literally just put the judo max on top of the ice ring. So, it's like on ice. Basically, yeah. Judo on ice. So, so they put like a cover, like a like a tarpaulin cover across all of it. Yeah. Then you put down the G mats on top of that, and that was it. Brilliant. Okay. Uh, but we were literally on the ice ring in like basically where they play ice hockey. Yeah. We we had judo mats on top of that. In a gi. In right. a gi. Yeah. In a gi on top of ice, um, which was of 
obviously the ideal conditions when you had a cold and everything. Yeah. So um, anyway, like it's one of those ones that like that wasn't necessarily the best one, but like I got enough like ranking points to be invited to like the British Start Squad. So that's like the junior British squad. Um, and then I sort of did training with them for quite a few years and um, then ended up sort of putting slightly more of my studies first sort of towards GCSE and A-level ones. Then when I went to university, I ended up being sort of at Bath Uni, which was where I did a lot of my training as a youngster. And then like there was lots of Olympians there and like um, at Tokyo, there were six people that I trained with at um my last sort of year at university that ended up going to tokyo olympics to compete um two irish one mexican and three british ones so um yeah it was it was good um learn that a lot but it was one of those things it was the fact i could fight from both hands and that was sort of always an asset going forward um but it was a case that judo changed so much even in my time because it was a case that when I first started, the leg grabs were a big thing. Mm. So like it was a case I was very good with leg grabs and working from there. And then they sort of made it that you couldn't, you couldn't grab them, but you could place your hand on them to them. Literally, it's a case that if you place your hand on the trousers, you're disqualified straight away. So mm. like it's a real change in how it's gone from sort of grabbing them there. And it was just one of those things that like it was a case to stay at the top. You just needed to adapt and change because like they were big parts of it and just got to a point where leg grabs were just the primary thing so they did get rid of that to actually get other judo techniques involved yeah so yeah, yeah like so i ended up probably doing it for about 15 years like i just the last competition i did was bucks where i came which is the british university uh schools and college championships um with university and i ended up coming second nice. um it was annoying because the guy that I lost to in the final, I beat in our pool. Oh, shit. I hate so, it when that happens. So, yeah, I beat him in the pool really handily and then I lost in the final. But that was the last one. And then sort of with starting my own business and not being able to get injured, then I sort of had to retire. And like, I managed to get some, like, international cup medals and everything. So, like, there's an... I think I've probably got about 400 medals, but... Bloody um, hell. All right. <laughs> Like, but it's one of those things that, like, when I was younger, I was doing, like, probably 30 to 40 competitions a year. Yeah. So, like, every other weekend, you were going away somewhere. So, like, most of mine were the UK-based, but I did sort of, sort of had the experience there of going on them, going in a minibus, going sort of to Paris and stuff like that, um, and then doing the ones over there as well. So, it was, like, a good experience, but most of them were, like, UK domestic ones, and I think I was, like... 10 times southwest of england champion or something like that and then count county champion like 12 times in a row so was one of those ones that like you'd go to those competitions but you know you'd win every time so <laughs> like they're, they're good ones to do because like you still see people but like once you got to that next level it wasn't ever a competition yeah but it would be a case that like when you then sort of got to the higher levels and sort of were ranked you would just come up against the same people every time so um like it was weird, sort of the people that were competing at Bucks were the same people that were competing in the national champs in December. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So like you, you would very much know like who you'd fight against, and you'd fight the same sort of people. Definitely when you're like in juniors, it was less so because like people would change with them growing, and the weight categories are closer together. But once you get to sort of senior stages, yeah, like you were like I was pretty much always in under sixty sixes unless I didn't quite make weight, and then I was in under seventy threes and that would then be a bit different but like you would pretty much get like probably the same five to ten people every sort of time and then you get other people but you know those five to ten people that they were the ones that you've been in the British Start program with they're at performance centres in like Bath, Wolverhampton, Loughborough, those sorts of places and you'd know they were going to be the ones that you'll see in the knockout stages so yeah yeah fair enough I um I've had like a little bit of that but you know, um, in HEMA, there's so many people coming in saying that it's like, I don't know who that one is. Like, you know, you'll know who's, you'll usually look at the list and you know who's going to be in the finals. Yeah. Uh, but every now and again, you'll get somebody come out of nowhere and you're like, who the fuck is that? You know? Um, and uh, like when I boxed as a kid, it was really interesting when you'd get kids who'd had like growth spurts over the summer. 
you know, they'd come back and you're like, oh no, <laughs> you're way bigger than you were before. So yeah, um, no, I think it's cool that you've been doing it since, like, you know, that you've done it since you were five, you know, four or five years old. Um, and I imagine that there was a lot of sort of people dropping out, but you stay out, you know, you stay at it and that sort of thing. Yeah, it was definitely in the first club, like the first club I went to, um, like lots of people just took it up. It was more like a social aspect and like, lots of those people sort of did it, but then sort of never really wanted to compete and they sort of dropped out and sort of it was just a more of a thing, pardon me, uh, to do as like a sport as developing as a child. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was sort of one of those ones they would come and go, but like once you did get to, like it really varied, so you get different levels of like grades of competition, so uh, you get, I think it's sort of like grade five is sort of like a national level which counts towards like national rankings, then you had like grade six which is like internationals and I think like grade seven which then you're looking at like Olympics, world um, championships and those sorts of ones, so once you got to the work, like the grade fives it would be all the same people. And then you'd occasionally get sort of someone retiring or someone sort of young moving in. Mm. But a lot of the time, like, it was one of those ones there wasn't huge amounts of like, oh, this person appeared from nowhere. Like, you would really would track them. There was a lot less, like, of just people appearing because I think that it's one of those ones that you get, like, you did get that sort of talent pool. And because those talent pools would train against each other, talent pool, you then just didn't get the good sort of sparring opposition. Like, it was a case that, like it, um, like when I was training at Bath, we were doing two-hour randori sessions. Like I could easily fight five Olympians, nice. five ten Olympians. So it's one of those things that, like with that practice, it just puts you above other people. So it's very hard to break into that unless you actually get to that stage. But then it was one of those things that you only get invited to those stages if you're good enough. Yeah. So it's sort of one of those things that. I think it's a problem a lot with judo is it's one of those things that sometimes it's not necessarily who you know but you've got to be in the right place at the right time to get recognized and if you don't get that sort of in it's really hard for you to ever get sort of that next level of experience and that skill to then compete to be able to push people because it was a case like you had um multiple like commonwealth champions commonwealth medalists there and like you'd be sparring against them we had the former german coaches are club coach technically so like it was just that level of coaching was just so much higher for other people to break in which I think is one of those things that there were less surprises unless they came through juniors to get that chance because it was a case that there are very few clubs and like when the British Judo Association made it into like five performance centres you had to be part of that performance centre to be able to compete because you actually didn't have anyone anyone else to push you if you weren't in one of those because all these good people all went there so like they may occasionally have gone back to their club training but like I think that I was probably easily doing like like if I was doing the full stuff and stuff didn't inflict with my lectures there was like 20 or 30 hours of scheduled judo like whether that was sort of like judo training or strength and conditioning or circuits that there was that sort of time commitment just with that one, and it's a case that I wouldn't choose to go back to my childhood club to overdoing that practice against Olympians. So it's one of those ones that I think you then don't necessarily give back, which I think sometimes does limit the skill because mm. it's only once you then retire that people then go back to their clubs and sort of give back. So I think it's a system that didn't necessarily work and they have looked at changing. It was a case that I think there's less people appearing and like, you wouldn't really get that unless you got someone that was like high standard, got injured for a while or changed weight category and that would be like the surprise. Whereas you'd very rarely see someone that's not come up through the juniors and then suddenly appeared at the seniors. Yeah. Um, like the only time like it's a case that you maybe get people that sort of come from abroad to study that maybe sort of shift that. But a lot of the time like it wasn't, there wasn't a huge amount of variety with that and you wouldn't get as many people coming up through it, so. Sure. Why did uh, why did the rules change so that you can't go for the legs anymore? Can't attack the legs. So there, there's been quite a lot of changes with judo, like the scoring system changed and everything. But lots of the time, like sometimes they put the stuff in there and you don't fully understand. It was a case that they really did stop a lot of the fighting. Like I remember certain fights where um, 
you'd literally be fighting. Um, so like there'd be a break in the fight, you get sort of back to your starting positions and then they say like a jimmy, which is like start or begin. Um, and then they just run and grab your legs. And yeah. like, there's no gripping up, no technique. They would just go for your legs and like, they would either take you down or that would be it. And then it's a case that you then, it became a case that it was so prominent that you were seeing it happen 80% of the time sort of thing. And lots of the other throws then didn't get used. Right. So it's one of those things that because it was so popular and so useful and definitely at a higher competitive level, you would just use them a lot more. They took away from everything else and took that skill expression away because you would just be like, well, can you do leg grabs? No, well, you're no good anymore. Like you, you're sort of way down because everyone else can use leg grabs. So like, because I'm not as familiar with the rules for judo as I am with jiu-jitsu. Yeah. Um, if somebody shoots in for a double leg takedown, um, and you sprawl on top of them and you, you know, and uh, yeah. like, would that have not counted as like... So, so that wouldn't count as a score, but then you'd sprawl on top of them and then you can go into groundwork with them and then you can start putting on like submissions and techniques. Yeah. But it was one of those problems, like definitely for the junior levels, is you would, like you can't do strangles and submissions until you're sort of over 16. Right. So those sorts of ones, if they go in for a leg grab and you sprawl them down... They then just curl up on their stomach and it, it's very hard with... They also changed the rule that you had less time to work on the ground and again more time standing up. That with less time on the ground when they're sort of sprawled out and you can't do arm locks and submissions, like it's very hard to turn them over and then pin them down. Yeah. So like it definitely for ju like junior ages, it was one of those things that like you just go in, they'll spool you, you curl up, you sort of... The fight gets called to a stop. You stand up, you go in again, and there's like no real counterplay unless they're very good at turning you over. Yeah. But it's it's very hard when you have five, ten seconds to turn someone over or at least make it look like you're turning them over to be able to do anything. Whereas in senior ones, it wasn't so bad because they'd go in there, you just get their head and then you strangle them. Yeah, get them in the um, guillotine. So yeah, yeah, so you get those sorts of ones where like it wasn't as prominent in the senior level, but junior one it was one of those ones that was a big thing mm. so they got rid of it in the junior level um but sort of kept it in the senior level but then found the quality of judo improved in the junior level and then they got rid of it in the senior ones as well yeah um and there was also like techniques where you would like drop to your knees to sort of get actual momentum um to sort of drive them forward and then they also got rid of that more in juniors injury risk rather than anything else but the leg grabs was literally just a stylistic thing and actually wanting it to use the other techniques because like I I've been in fights before whereas like the guy would literally come at me, I would spool him, take him like try and work on him, that would get stopped, and he literally would just run straight at me and try and rugby tackle me. Yeah. Like there wasn't any skill in there, he wasn't doing any movement to set it up. But he was just doing that. But because of that, like I couldn't ever put any attacks in. Yeah. Um like, I couldn't work on the ground because like once he knew that I was spooling him, he just curled up and at that point, I couldn't do any arm locks or strangles. Um, and then you just sort of put your legs out wide and then you can't really get rolled over. Um, and then it was a case that, like, it would, like, we had three minutes fights and he would do that the whole time. And then it was yeah. a case that they made then, like, a referee's decision and, like, it went against me. But, like, there was no point for me to do anything there. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I've had that, I've, you know, I've had similar things. Um, and, I mean... I've talked to you about it, um, judo and jiu-jitsu, I'm not um, well-versed in it. It's something that I train for historical European martial arts, you know, it's something that I do to supplement that and to sort of make me a more well-rounded uh, fighter. Yeah. Um, but I have had a couple of sort of like uh, scraps in, you know, my jiu-jitsu class where we don't, you know, we stand up normally. If I'm fighting somebody competent, we start with hand fighting. You know, we're trying to get grips on yeah. uh, on wrists or like whatever, um, and uh, and then somebody will try and cut the corner and like take my legs from the side. Yeah. But I was fighting somebody, and just like as you described it, just over and over, it wasn't even a double leg. head down. I'm running at you. You know, and I was just like, I was looking at him, and I'm like, are you kidding me with this shit? Because every time, I would sprawl him, and I'd manage to get my arm, like, around his head. And I'd just guillotine him, and I'd just drop to the ground, and he's like, yeah, tap. And I'm like, cool. 
and then we'd reset and again head down shoulders bulked you know and he's just like here we go and i'm like all right here comes the pain train i guess and it's just like again take him take him down like and again i'm not great at grappling like if you and i had a grapple you you know you tie me in a knot you know what i mean um but yeah it was just the same same attack over and over again and uh and somebody was going oh he's doing well and i was like is he <laughs> Well, so, this is the thing, though, like, because there was a case there wasn't any strangles or arm locks, you couldn't take them yeah, into that yeah, nice course, guillotine. Yeah. So, like, they would literally put their head down and just charge at you, and you're like, well, like, there's not much I could do here. Like, it almost felt like you were sort of bullfighting and, like, you're sort of, like, running out of way of a charging bull because, like, yeah. that, that was as much skill in there. They would literally put their head down and charged, and, like, there wasn't really much to it. Yeah. And there's not, like, with... Like, at junior level, there wasn't much counterplay. In, like, senior ones, you would get, like, sort of caught out a lot more. And, like, it's a case that that sort of charging, just putting your head down, doing, like, shooting for the double, double leg grab, like, they would often get punished. And you wouldn't see that at any high standard in a senior one. But in junior ones, like, even at the highest level, you could still do it. Like, like I went to the Nationals, and that was done against me in the Nationals. And it was like, well... Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's one of those things that... Like, that's the main reason why they did do it, because it was just a case that, like, you could get situations like that. They mm. weren't really penalised because they're technically still attacking. But it just really broke down the fight. You'd get sort of, like, 20 seconds of them charging at you, you taking them down, stopping, resetting, them charging at you, you taking them down, but then not being able to do anything on the ground. And then it sort of just kept going, and that'd be the three minutes. Yeah. And then it was a case that, like, Obviously, in uh, like senior ones, it's then up to five minutes, so you get more time. You then have submissions in there, and that could be dealt with it more. But it was a case that it did make it very sort of linear for definitely the junior levels, and that's why they took it out. Yeah, yeah, cool. Would you? Is it something that you would recommend for self-defense these days? Then, um, I think it's one of those ones that like. Like, a lot of the time it's a case that the techniques that you're shown, definitely, like, if you're looking at, like, the carters and everything, and, like, the textbook way of doing it rather than fighting, it's very much as if, sort of, someone comes at you with a weapon like a knife. So with, sort of, how knife crime's going and everything, that actually, like, it's probably quite good ones that if someone does come at you with a knife, like, you're sort of taking that arm away, you're sort of disabling that arm, and then you're sort of throwing them to the ground breaking their arm sort of thing or putting pressure onto their arm to they drop the knife and then sort of getting away from the situation sort of thing so i think that because of what it is and with how much it is dealt with sort of if someone lunges at you with sort of a knife or a weapon like you do get taught that um it's one of those things that you actually you never really practice even with like fake weapons so it's one of those things that you do learn like what would happen and like the theory behind it is if sort of someone is coming in to attack you but obviously you don't necessarily practice that like some of the other martial arts do do so it's like whether you'd actually defend yourself or whether it's just a case actually it's just a nice way of learning movement balance and those other sort of skills that are very transferable um it is sort of that sort of skill there and you do learn a lot about sort of like gripping and moving people's arms and everything so you could control people a lot more, um, which probably is better at like sort of stopping situations and sort of de-escalating rather than actually sort of getting into like a full-blown brawl in the street sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Because I, uh, I, I had a student who's joined recently um, and they, they were like, oh, I'm thinking about getting into um, Aikido. And I was like, okay, cool. Uh, why? You know? Um, and they said, oh, because, you know, I want to learn... Uh, I want to learn self-defense and I was like I wouldn't go with Aikido personally um, only because like I've seen I've seen a lot of stuff that you know from Aikido recently it's like I wouldn't learn uh, like I, I really have a lot of um, good things to say about Tai Chi yeah. I wouldn't learn it for self-defense you know um, I think what you were talking about like balance poise um, all of those sort of things that's something you get from Tai Chi and I like there are things that I apply from Tai Chi you know in historical European martial arts in other martial arts as well when I used to do Krav Maga um, a lot of the 
again just like slowing things down uh, and I think that's like obviously one of the key things about Tai Chi is like slow it down to see how it works and then speed it up and then start adding uh, that ballistic element to it um, but the issue that I have with Aikido is that for me it's the same as Tai Chi there's a lot of really good stuff in there like learning how to hit the ground how to roll how to you know and, and how to move but then there doesn't seem to be a lot of conditioning do you know what I mean yeah there's a lot of sort of I'm going to lead you by the arm you know and then I'm just going to do this and you're going to somehow fall on the floor um and I don't know if you've ever done Aikido, if you've ever tried it out, or... So, like, I've never tried Aikido, but, like, so when I was at uh, my second club, sort of, in Devizes, like, we had our judo session first, and then the Aikido people would come after us. Yeah. So, like, we'd go to the changing room, sort of, get changed, and then come out, and then they'd be practicing, sort of thing. Um, and sort of seeing some of the drills that they did, again, like, it, it does depend on clubs that may be more intense, whatever... But there was that sort of situation where they weren't necessarily sort of the most conditioned and it was sort of slightly unrealistic. And then, like, it was a case that some of the times, like, when they're saying, oh, this person will move in this sort of way, and then like, they do, like, this sort of movement, and then the person, like, falls over, like you sort of say, and you're like, wow, that's not really, <laughs> yeah. really going to happen. Um, like, I probably would actually say that if you're looking more for self-defense, like, BJJ is probably better than judo because, like, Judo is more the gentle way, and it's a case like you get far less submissions and far less sort of how to defend yourself and those sorts of ones. So, like if you actually look in it, sort of, if you had to defend yourself in real life, I think you'd probably prefer to have the BJJ side of things rather than judo, um, because like judo is always a, like sort of translates across to sort of the gentle way, um, and there are sort of like quite a few submissions that you can't do because of safety issues, and you can then do them like. Um, jiu-jitsu um, so it's one of those ones that like uh, that like it's one of those ones that are very similar but if you were looking at sort of one for solely self-defense you'd probably actually find that in this day and age that actually BJJ is better for actually defending yourself if someone sort of comes at you um, like it's like it, when I sort of was in sort of an altercation sort of because of situations I actually didn't use any judo. I actually just ended up hitting the person. So <laughs> it's one of those things that even with years of training, look, like it was one of those things that actually it wasn't the most appropriate thing, but yeah. it was still sort of actually like the anticipation of people's movements and stuff. So even though it wasn't a judo technique, it was sort of the knowledge of people's movements and how they would, would help with sort of de-escalating the situation and sort of stopping what was happening. So Yeah, yeah. It's funny you should mention that actually because I got... Um, I was doing Kung Fu and Tai Chi for uh, for like a few years and I got into a fight in um, uh, metros, you know, in town. Yeah. Um, I was basically, we were on the dance floor and this guy, I think he was like trying to start a mosh pit or something. So he like bumped into me and I sort of like, oh, all I did was shoved him a little bit and he turned around, looked at my girlfriend at the time and just launched her, right? And I looked at him, and uh, I turned around, and rather than doing any sort of like, you know, any any fancy kung fu uh, sort of stuff, um, the things that I was doing, Lee-style kung fu, really elegant, you know, and it's like, I'm going to do, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to strike the throat with the edge of my hand, and I'm, then I'm going to do this, you know, and it's going to be the palm of the hand of the solar plexus. No, I just right hook, right hook, right hook, right hook until the bounces pull this apart. So, like, I'm hitting him with my right, he's hitting me with his right. So we were just hitting each other, and it was just the shittiest fight. But it, it's always the way, isn't it? Like, when you see a, um, when you see a street fight, it's like, you know, some guy trying to give the other guy a wedgie, the other one's like trying to put him in a really bad headlock and pulling his t-shirt over his head, you know? And you're watching it and you're like, ah, oh, this is naff, you know? I'm embarrassed for both of you kind of thing. Action on there. And like, because of how it is with the rules, like, he was like not breathing, getting oxygen on that. I was still sat on the mat. Right. So like, there was sort of... So it's his fault. To be fair, <laughs> what, like, so it's one of those things that like, like... Probably looking in hindsight, I probably should have should have stopped. Like, he tapped, um, but the referee didn't see it. And like it's one of those things. Like definitely with like competitive judo, you told to go to the referee. 
But like it's easy, like if they tap and then you let go and the referee hasn't seen it, then you've basically just let them go and then like you sort of, you haven't really scored anything, definitely with a hold down yeah. um, or even like an arm lock or a strangle because like you're sort of arm lock and strangling them unless you actually like knock them out or, but definitely with an arm lock, unless you're actually like breaking their arm, like you've not really disabled them much at all. Um, like it would be a bit sore probably. And like with the strangle, like again, like, you're choking them out and they may be a bit sort of gassed afterwards but again there's nothing there with a hold down it's a case that like for judo at the time i think you had to hold them down for 20 seconds to get the first score and 25 seconds to win so it's a long time to hold someone down like if you're letting them go at that point then you've literally just held them down and not really done much at all right um so it's one of those things that you're always told sort of to go until the referee says so um but like the guy had tapped and then it was a case that then like you did hear a crunch and a <gasps> which was like sort of his ribs being busted and like going into his lung. Um, and then it was a case then the referee did stop the fight and I did let go at that point before the referee told me because like at that point you sort of knew. Yeah. Um, but then in that sort of with those rules there you like have to be bowed off by the referee yeah so while they're giving treatment and the person sort of there with their collapsed lung and broken ribs that i was sort of just knelt next to it um with like all the people spectating um before sort of like he, he got gas and air while i was still on the mat and then like they finally bowed me off um sort of giving me the victory um the person that next like i was meant to next fight he was like um <laughs> he was petrified um so yeah so yeah it was it was one of those ones that like to be fair it, like, i don't quite like i'm i probably held down probably over a thousand people probably at least like um never had anyone's ribs break before so like it was a case that like whether it was a case the problem with a lot of weight category sports definitely with junior weight category ones lots of the parents did n encourage their children not to go up with certain weight categories. Right. So lots of the people I know, their parents were, well, the children were malnourished, uh, well, basically starved. Like you saw some of the people that like were skin and bones and there wasn't much to them. They'd have great reach and they'd sort of technically have like a height advantage, which sometimes it's an advantage, sometimes it's a disadvantage, but like they were always a way that there was always that sort of, they were uh, much lighter than they probably needed to be. Um, and then they sort of, then that was probably one of those things that you could then have lower bone density, you would more likely to be injured and risk sort of getting hurt. And like, that's probably what I would put it down to is like, I think it was like I was 13, 14 at the time. Yeah. Um, so like he had probably been the same, but um, I would probably have to say that maybe it was a growth spur then that probably meant that he was more likely to because sort of like I've done that same technique thousands of times sort of it's a throw into a hold down like you sort of get around the back of the head you throw them over you land on top of them and then you hold them down and you sort of constrict them and pull them up as you're pushing yourself down so you're basically crushing them between your sort of ribs or shoulder against sort of the mat um and then just sort of squeezing and squeezing and squeezing mm. um so it's a bit like a constricting movement, but like I probably done it thousands of times and never ever had anything close to that happen again. Yeah. So like that's why I think that it's one of those things that like whether there was anything sort of going on for him rather than anything else, because it was a case that um, like it was 10 seconds into the hold down. It wasn't as if actually it was from the throw and the impact, which you'd have expected it more too. Like, I wouldn't expect from someone applying the same body weight onto you and squeezing you to be able to break ribs. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that that's, you know, probably an extreme example. I've had, like, some students come in um, into my class and I've been a little bit concerned because they've been, uh, as you say, sort of, like, malnourished, I guess. Yeah. Um, and it's... Because of what we do in HEMA, I like to teach grappling because it's part of it. Like, it is a big part of it. You you know, you have these sort of, like, different distances. 
So if you're at a wide distance, you're using the blade of the sword. If you're at a close distance, then you're using um, either your arms or you know the hilt of the sword to strike. Um, but then if you get too close, then you're going to go to grapple. And I've come up against um, you know a few places like uh, different clubs where I come up against, and um, they have no idea how to grapple. And so they'll either start just flailing wildly, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, sure, stop it though, you know, <laughs> um, or you know, I'll go for a throw or a hold or something, or I'll like try and strike with the, like I said, with the hilt of the sword. Um, and I find that then it it just gets a, it becomes a really boring fight because all you're doing is you move forward and because they don't want to get close to you they'll move back so you move forward they move back you move forward and eventually you're just chasing somebody um and they can be quite quick with like thrusts and stuff like that but if you just if you displace it you know if you take it offline so that you've got a straight shot uh to them then um then yeah um you want to move in you want to take control of their of their sword or their arms or whatever um I had, uh, had a student recently, um, and uh, he's like we joke. Um, we call him the strongest Avenger because he is a strong guy. Like he's he's a really strong guy, and he's um, he's he's new. Um, but he just sort of like charged me down, and it was part of the reason that I started going to BJJ's because this student he charged me down when we first came back from lockdown, and I was like, I've been spending so much time. Um, you know, socially distancing and stuff like that. As soon as somebody was in my face, I was like, oh shit. So I just sprawled him uh, and it got like quite dangerous because um, his mask popped up because he hit the deck. Yeah. His mask popped up just as I was bringing my sword down and I was like, ooh. Yeah. So um, I went to BJJ, not because I, I want to compete or anything like that. Um, I might give it a go at some point, not yet because I'm nowhere near that level. Um, but... Uh, um, yeah, I, I had to grapple with him recently because he charged me down uh, again. And because he's got that power, um, it would be, you know, it'd be quite easy for him to sort of, uh, you know, just, just go in for, as we were talking about, the kind of like rugby tackle type thing. Yeah. Um, but again, it was it was sort of like, I need to handle that and so do my students my students want to be able to handle that but some of them come in and they're quite uh they're you know they are quite uh thin um you know not in a sort of uh lean way but in a slightly dangerous way uh and you think if you come to grapple that's going to be potentially very problematic for you because you're not going to have the musculature to be able to leverage um, certain things. Um, you're not, you know, you're going to find it very hard to be thrown on the ground because you've got absolutely no padding, you know. Uh, and I know it's not about that, but like sometimes yeah. when you hit the deck and you, you know, uh, you want something there, do you know what I mean? Not just pure bone. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a tough one, I guess. Uh, you also had a philosophy, didn't you, taught to you by your by your coaches, which is it like uh, winning isn't everything; it's the only thing. Yeah, definitely. Uh, some of the uh, one of the coaches I had was very much sort of into that, and like it was a really. So it's not the best mentality, but it was sort of like it was a case like second was the first loser, and those sorts of ones, which. Um, uh, it's one of those ones that, like, probably why I ended up sort of focusing more on the studies and actually getting a bit burnt burnt out because I, um, like, I went to a nationals and sort of came fourth, but like I came fourth out of 128 compet male competitors, um, because I like, at that point I was in the biggest um, weight category and like we had like at the nationals there was a lot of people. Um, one of the girls she had a weight category where there were three people in. Right. So she won one fight, lost one fight, got silver. Yeah. And there was like a big spread in like the local paper about how well she did. <laughs> um, yeah. I won seven fights and lost two. Um, yeah. Came fourth. And then I was like right at the end and sort of, oh, this person was also competing. 
And then my coaches <laughs> were like, well, you should have done better than that. And it was one of those things that actually, like, winning seven fights and losing two is like... That pace. I, yeah, I don't think really it's good. that bad to sort of, like, do. And it was one of those ones that it was sort of a knockout thing and you were out sort of thing. So I lost to the person that did win it overall. Yeah. Um, and then it was a case that then I sort of lost to the other person that he beat. And it was one of those ones that, like, it there was a quick turnaround for me losing my fight and they get they had a longer one um because like they were basically waiting to sort of fight the person that then lost in my one um so then it was a case like i then sort of got to the rap charge and then got a straight fight sort of straight away um and then it was like pretty much impossible i think there was a quick turnaround like that guy had been sort of waiting and i think it was sort of only about 20 minutes from sort of doing a I think it was sort of like a three minute fight and then we had extra time, which then was another three minutes. Then I think it went to referee's decision. So it was a case like I'd been fighting six minutes, had two minutes, uh, 20 minutes rest and then was fighting again. Whereas this other guy, I think his last fight was like an hour ago and it was sort of like a 20 second one where he yeah. basically threw the guy straight away. Um, and I'd already won sort of seven, I'd already won seven other fights, then lost one and then it was a quick turnaround and then sort of lost again. So it's one of those things that even though that like probably statistically like I did better than the other one. Yeah. It was a case at the club when we came back they sort of praised the other person and it was one of those things that like it's always like hard when you sort of have that mentality and it does increase burnout. Yeah. It's one of the things that showing that sort of that that result sort of driven uh, motivation does increase burnout and does sort of cause people to quit sports and move away from them. Um, so then like I did focus more on my studies and then when they weren't my coach anymore, like when they wouldn't have been my coach and I was just sort of a bath, um, that I then sort of started doing it again and got sort of, um, there was also like a car accident as well, which played a part, but like it was a case that um, then it was much more enjoyable. I like sort of helped coach like the uni team and it was very much a different mentality um but then the same coach said when i sort of got the last medal sort of like the silver bucks that like it wasn't gold so it was sort of always that that way of thinking and sort of not necessarily the most positive way definitely if you're influencing like sort of junior or kids in sport and it's one of those things that i think you need to be very careful of sort of getting that sort of coaching ethos for, like that like people when they are coaching like they should always stay away from that because like should be a case to enjoy the sport rather than to get results and when it sort of did get like that and when like you are competing and sort of you have to win every single one and like I think it was a case that I probably was in maybe 450 competitions across like 10 years of competing it's it's a it's a lot of it's a lot of probably 15 years of competing it's it's a lot of things and there's a lot of pressure and it does just sort of like however slow you down and burn you out yeah, especially if, you know, you're tying your value to that victory. And, you know, sometimes it's luck. Like, I've gone into some pools, um, and I've, you know, I've looked at the names in the pools, and I'm like, oh, shit. You know, everybody, uh, everybody in that pool is a hard, hard fight. And then you look at other pools, and you're like, I could walk through that. You know, and I don't mean that in a like in an arrogant way or anything. It's just that I I've beaten those people, can, you know, before yeah. and consecutively, and like I I know that I could do it again. So like sometimes it's luck, um, but yeah, the guy uh, the guy that you're talking about, he sounds like um, like Crease from um, Karate Kid. Yeah, you know that's like when you were describing him, that's who's in my head. You know, well, to be fair, like it was sort of very similar. It was one of those things to like. If you lost at the competition on the drive back, like he may not speak to you. That's bollocks. So like you, you like you like so I was sort of over like in Wiltshire, so like the southwest of England. Like I could be competing up to like sort of St Helens or Liverpool or sort of all the way up sort of north and like you get like a four and a half drive back and like they're not talking to you because like you uh sort of like they made mistakes or anything. Um but then it like it was also a case like at one point I had uh, broken my ribs and uh, he told me, oh, it's not broken, you can carry on and fight. And then sort of went into the finals with broken ribs. Um, so it's, it's one of those things that like, it is a case that you can get 
people like that in quite a lot of martial arts and like it's just one of those things that i think they do put off people yeah they can then give the, the bad name because like it is a case that like for the karate kid for big figure and like people still sort of think of him and stuff and think that this could be a way that places are done run and unfortunately it is a case that there are still lots of coaches probably out there like that yeah yeah um no and i think i think people respond to different uh to to things differently don't they like um negative reinforcement um you know now and it like I, I think it has to depend on me and the um and my my i don't know my my headspace i guess uh, when you get somebody who's just like yeah that wasn't very good was it and you're like mm, cool thanks you know now and again you uh, you don't need to hear it because you're aware of it yourself. I think that, like a lot of the time, we're we're the best judges of what we need to do in order to improve. Like an outside perspective helps, but then you don't need somebody hammering that shit home. You know. Um, I think it's like that. Like it's one of those things. Like when you are learning sort of sports and stuff, like you go through different stages. So, like you start off with the like the first stage, which is like the uh, unconscious incompetent stage. So basically, you do, you're doing everything wrong, but you don't know you're doing everything wrong. Yeah. Um, then you get to the, the conscious incompetence uh, stage where you basically, now you realise you're doing everything wrong. Then you get to a point where you are um, conscious. No, so you are then co conscious competent. So basically, you have to think about it. Um, so you have to think about stuff, but then you realise what you're doing. And then you get to the point where you are sort of like, the case that you are competent and sort of unconscious so like you just do it without thinking about it and it's one of those things that definitely once you get to the point like the later stages like it's a case that actually you're probably your own worst critic because you're like well i did this wrong i did this wrong because you're aware of it and i think once you get to those sort of really need other people pointing out the mistakes you do unless you're not noticing them yourself and i think a lot of the time once you get to those sorts of things that actually you're you're hard you're probably your own harsh uh, worst critic that so actually a lot of the time that you probably need more from the external forces for them to be sort of positive because like you often know what you've done wrong definitely if it's like a mistake that was quite obvious yeah like if it was something that like you kept on doing and it was sort of a recurring fee theme across like multiple fights or bouts or those sorts of things like your footwear work wasn't good enough and you sort of always left like one foot forward so it could be exposed to be swept or sort of if you drop your sword in a certain way so people can lunge at you and sort of take advantage or those sorts of things like obviously they are stuff that needs to be pointed out but if it's something that oh you sort of they went in for you you sort of counted the wrong way and then they ended up getting you anyway and that sort of cost you it um then obviously that sort of i think is something that needs like you probably know yourself and like you're probably kicking yourself about it you then don't need someone yeah. to say um Whereas like, it's sort of, I think that's sort of different between like an acute mistake or sort of like a chronic mistake. And obviously if it is something that's chronically happening, you do ne then need someone to say, because obviously it's a case that if it's happening, happening chronically, you are in con like unconscious about doing it because you don't know you're doing it. I should not do it. Yeah. Definitely if it was like costing you stuff. So I think that's where like you do, like I think where the better coaches that I've worked with in the past, like they'll point out those sorts of things but like if it was something that i've sort of know i did wrong definitely like when i was at bath with like jürgen who was like the former german coach like he wouldn't ever tell you that you did that wrong or whatever like he would just say that you should do this next time yeah and then it was a case like it wouldn't like highlight the mistakes so it would just be a case that he would tell you the stuff that like if he saw it as something that could be exposed and you did regularly Mm. Um, and I think that's sort of like the different level of coaches whereas like it went from like a club coach that wasn't that good to like the former German national coach who to be fair was very good and had lots of coaching principle was very up with like the sports science of it and doing like the physiological testing we like he got DEXA scanned for us so like we would get look at our bone density our lean mass and then find out what weight we should actually be fighting on and actually find out completely how much fat you have. So there was a case that you would be like optimally for your weight or whether it was a case that you needed to actually like either bulk up or get less bulk. So you could actually find out how much lean mass you were and really take a very scientific approach and then sort of change that, but also make it that 
you weren't cutting as much down for like competitions because you would often drop with weights. So. Mm. So how did you get into your current occupation? So um, basically, like, I was always very sporty. Like I ended up sort of going to nationals for judo. I ended up at national cross country championships. Um, I've ended up sort of like with air cadets going to like the national football, rugby. Um, playing at county level at sort of those sports sort of as well. So I was always sporty, but then was also sort of very good sort of at the math sides of things. So like I went into A-level thinking that like my A-levels were maths further, maths and physics, uh, scientific, mathsy based. Um, but then it was a case that when I was probably May of my sort of final year at school, um, I had a big car accident, so my car, like, sort of, I was going around a roundabout, someone sort of drove into the back left of me, like, it sort of spun, or went up, sort of, backwards up the next roundabout, sort of, exit. Um, my car was a complete write-off. Um, like, I was very lucky that no one was in my back seat, because, like, the door had really walked in, and if anyone had been under there, they'd have been crushed by the door, sort of thing. So, like, it, like... They drove into me front on with their Ford Mondeo onto my little Renault Clio and they ended up crumpling their front because they hit me at like 50 miles an hour straight on. Um, so it was a big impact and the car was like completely like right off, sort of like limped back, like reversing it back into the McDonald's car park, which was literally just the exit there. Um, and I, all I remember sort of is like waking up in this woman being at my window telling me that I need to move. Whether I was okay, and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, I thought you meant move the car. Well, hey, she, yeah, you're blocking the road. Well, she did want me to move the car. Like it was a, like, it was quite a big pile up, and I don't know how. Like I definitely sort of, like sort of came round. So I don't know how long I wasn't with it for, but, um, so yeah, that was like a big one. And then like I had like physio and went to see an orthopedic surgeon, and they basically were like, well, we should never do judo again. Sure. Um, I'm not very good at being told stuff I can't do. Yeah. Um, so basically it was a case that I had applied to do maths at Bath, but it was one of those ones that it was also very good at sport and exercise science, and I was always umming and ahhing between them. And then sort of the thought of not being able to do them at all, um, I was like, well, I will, I will do this and at least work with sport, because like it was sort of a big part. So I still sort of have... Um, able to be part of it um, and then it was a case that like I was on stuff like diazepam, diclofenac, muscle relaxers because my back would be like in spasm and agony and like trying to get through the exams was awful and it was just like constant pain and um, tension headaches because of the tension in the back and other things so I then ended up sort of going from doing 10 for like and sort of being active, running, um, I literally went to national cross country that year. So um, to go from that to basically sitting on a sofa, having the tens machine and on diazepam, um, sitting in a sofa, not really being able to do stuff and walking up the stairs was a struggle. Um, it was a case that I was like, well, uh, I put on a, probably about. So I was probably about sixty-two kilograms, and I went to eighty-three, so twenty-one kilograms. Right. Um, like over sort of a period of like being sedentary, um, and then it was a case that I did sport and exercise science, um, but I had like um, insurance payout from sort of the injuries and everything, so I used them to get qualified with personal training, strength and conditioning, um, sports massage. Um, but like still sort of like just like I what didn't really have the time with doing studying in my first year um, and then doing them um, or in sort of the second year. And then I went on placement. So I went over to Australia um, and then sort of just spent the time there being a strength and conditioning coach, learning from a lot of like elite, like former athletes and themselves and basically rehabbing myself and ended up getting back to sort of my fighting weight. And then when I sort of came back for my third and master's year, I then sort of did 
did judo, got back to like the performance squad and then sort of ended up meddling at Bucks. Um, so then it was a case that actually like having done that for myself and sort of how that felt for me, then sort of actually getting the opportunity to get like the software. When I was in my master's year, uh, I was working at a running shop part time at the time and we got told about this sort of 3D gait analysis to sort of see how people moved, looking at sort of uh, how the muscles were functioning, how sort of range of motion and sort of it basically takes 100,000 data points from two cameras and makes like a digital skeleton of you and puts like face down into segments and looks at all like the kinematics, so like how you moved, the forces, the joints. Um, so I got the option of seeing that and then it was a case that seeing that, doing the massage and knowing sort of how much I could help people and doing the, like, the strength and conditioning, um, then I sort of was like, well, I want to do all of these things. So then just ended up creating Cardiff Gate and doing all those sorts of things. And um, I was very lucky over my degree that I ended up covering like clinical biomechanics of cerebral palsy. Um, so then I could also like sort of, I got approached um, by a company to sort of do some gait analysis and some massage for some children with cerebral palsy. Um, and then that sort of also was like really fulfilling and then sort of now do like the sports massage and sort of conditioning for them. Um, and then also doing it for, sort of for general people as well. So like we're like in on Monday and I've been running Cardiff Gate for four years now. So um, that's sort of how it came about. Like it was a case that probably before the car accident, I was going to do pure maths and probably have a very boring life. <laughs> um, and I'd had a very boring sort of three years doing proofs and showing why one plus one equals two. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's sort of how it all happened. And actually like sort of one of those things that like it was a horrific car accident, but sort of led me to this position here. And um, I'm very lucky that I've sort of done some now. And I sort of was just away at the beginning of this month um, with Wales Corfball sort of at the European Championship. So it's been one of those ones that like I've now even with sort of still being self-employed, still getting to work with elite sports and everything there as well. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good, man. That's awesome. Yeah, because, I mean, I, I found it really helpful because obviously I get tension, especially in my shoulders from uh, from striking and, and things like that. Um, and I've, I've found that uh, now that I'm doing the JJ as well, uh, I've been rolling wrong. I've been rolling absolutely incorrectly. I've been turning my head the wrong way, which I found out on um, Sunday because we were doing um, this throw and it was basically like from a fireman's lift type position. Yeah. Um, yeah, my coach threw me on my head and twice I just landed on my temple. So I should have been turning this way, uh, turning my chin over my left shoulder so that I was kind of hitting the you know the mat with my right shoulder yeah but instinctively for some reason i was turning that way right so i was just like i it, like he dropped me on my temple twice and he's like are you okay and i'm like yeah yeah i'm good yeah i'm great right but my neck clicked really like you know yeah like just just really badly um and I've, i felt a little bit queasy after the class and then i had to go and run some exams for my students so i'm just sort of like I'm just sort of sat there going like, oh God, I don't feel right. Um, so yeah, stuff like, um, you know, the, the sports massages and, and uh, you know, uh, just, just kind of paying more attention to the aches and pains that I used to ignore when I was younger. Um, that's really helped me quite a lot. That's what I did on Monday. That's, you know, where I went to the gym. Yeah. I just went and, uh, like I literally just went and rolled like just kept rolling and tried to make sure that I was rolling correctly because um, I don't want to do that again it was so painful um, so yeah um, and I, I genuinely I thought that I could roll you know that I was rolling correctly and that I was controlling everything but there's so much stuff that I'm doing in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu that I've never done before yeah. like when, you, when you're coming up onto your shoulders and sort of like trying to fight from there I'm like this. This seems like absolutely the wrong thing to me. Like I like to be on my feet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, not on my head. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, 
It's just one of those things that I think that lots of people don't realise with like Elite Sport how much TLC now goes into it. Like it's like lots of um, lots of reports recently have come out that actually like you're looking at your total trading volume should be like 20 to 25 percent like TLC, and like whether that sort of like yoga, massage, Pilates, stretching, like even sort of sort of conditioning work where it's more sort of strength and conditioning working on weaknesses. Those sorts of things where they're like accessory exercises to get certain things working, but like it should take up to like twenty five percent of like twenty to twenty five percent of your training volume. So like for sort of like when I was sort of at Bath and we were training like full time and like it was a case of like doing hours, I would be regularly getting sort of sports massages. Like I was ended up sort of doing like twice a week at points. Um, then we did like yoga stretching sessions and doing sort of those sorts of ones as well and like at the time um all the people um all the people in the squad would get personalized programs like i ended up doing my own one because like how like it was one of those things that like i i could because like that's what i had been doing now over in australia um whereas like a lot like it was all those ones of identifying weaknesses doing the screenings and then working on those areas there and it was just that sheer amount of time that you do actually have to put in on your body definitely doing repetitive sports and it's one of those ones that like doing like probably rotator cuff stuff and those sorts of things are probably very similar between sort of judo and yima um because it is one of those ones that like you're using your arms a lot and they are rotational muscles for the shoulders and they are ones that sort of are very hard to strengthen. You get a lot of people that will strengthen their surrounding muscles, but won't get the rotator cuff ones done. And then they'll end up sort of getting issues with them or tension because you're then being able to swing with much more power, but the controlling muscle to sort of actually sort of stabilize the shoulder joint isn't actually up to coping with that, that force. Definitely then like, for example, if you're swinging a sword and then sort of someone sort of um, blocking it or sort of then sword on sword action and because then that shock is going straight up into your shoulders yeah. which is why a lot of these sorts of areas can get sort of str strained yeah I do actually get quite a, a bit of pain in my sort of here in the rotator cuff and I don't know how to strengthen it is it just like push ups or it's not like a lot of the time like it's literally like it's the weirdest exercise so you get your sort of your arm so it'll be like parallel to the floor uh floor literally mm -hmm. just a small weight in there and then just rotating oh yeah and then literally just going through that sort of so you get it sort of so your arm is parallel to the ground um but like a bent and 90 degrees there grabbing a weight in the wrist and then sort of rotating it through 90 degrees up towards the sky and then that will really work on the rotator cuff all oh, right okay i'm gonna do that then but yeah like it's one of those ones like it when you start doing it you will realize how weak your rotator cuff is because like you maybe start with like a plate, yeah, and then that will feel, feel so hard by the time you get to like the 10, 15th rep. Yeah, because it is a case like with those sorts of things you're looking at sort of ten to fifteen reps because it's more about building volume. Like it's never going to be a power one. It's just about building up muscular endurance and also just making the muscle bigger itself. Yeah. So it's a case of sort of going through that and building it up will just sort of help with that. And definitely is a case that when you are sort of holding a sword, it will just help sort of stabilize that and be able to probably won't make anything like you probably won't make your swing stronger and i think it'll just probably mean that you'll last longer and less likely to get injured so it's one of those things that like it's not going to make you any probably better but it'll increase your longevity in it and it's one of those things that don't know when it comes to elite sport like the main thing we were focusing on in australia is like not getting like literally injury prevention because the worst thing with an injury is like let's just say you're out for like two three weeks um that's two or three weeks of not training yeah but also it's a case that um on top of that it's then also slightly regressing yeah yeah of course yeah this has been awesome buddy um thank you so much where can people find you online uh so you can either find me on the website which is cardiff gate but it's g-a-i-t um or there is also Facebook where you can also look on that as well. Um, we are on Instagram, but there is, it's not very active. So <laughs> probably like Facebook or the website is probably the easiest one. Or that you can even just sort of email cardiffgate at gmail.com.
uh, if you sort of have an email, want to drop any questions there. Yeah, because I imagine like if uh, if you're getting stuff on it, like if you're posting stuff on Instagram, it's just going to be people getting massaged. Well, you probably get some weirdos, you know what I mean? This is the like, thing, like it's one of those ones like it's really hard to add, like because like you can do the gate stuff and you can post that, but like it's only how much you want to do if sort of someone posing there were there. You can't really do massage because half the time people are like semi-naked. Yeah. Um, so then it's the case of what do you actually do like on there? It's like one of those things that like lots of people sort of always have said that do more on Instagram. I'm like, what am I meant to put on Instagram? <laughs> yeah. If you'd like to find out more about historical European martial arts, visit www.academyofsteel.com. Or you can shoot us over a message at info at academyofsteel.com. You can find us on YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. And is that how, how YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah, okay, that's all of them.